Coming up, another Titan disappointment. The Colts run over some Buffalo and a gigantic tease turns into a bitter defeat in Los Angeles for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Those are some of the headlines that highlight Week 11 in the NFL. The college football playoff scenario is becoming a bit clear as not one but two teams put up massive stinkers if you're a fan of Michigan State and Oregon, which will set the stage for a monstrous holiday weekend in the sport. After 13 road games to start the year, the Islanders finally come home, but the results remain the same as their losing streak has now hit six in a row. Is it time to wonder or even worry about this team being a threat in the Eastern Conference? The return of LeBron James from the injured list may lead to a suspension as the Lakers head into the Garden tomorrow night to face the Knicks. I'll even have some hot stove news in the MLB with the CBA coming to its likely end next Wednesday. I'll have all the hors d'oeuvres, main courses, sides, and all the fixings as Thanksgiving week is here. I'll serve up all that's laid out on the table to whet your sports appetite. But first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms, on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. And why wouldn't you be? The week has arrived. The holiday season will kick into high gear as this short week delivers us the long Thanksgiving weekend. So before we give thanks, as we celebrate with our family, friends, and loved ones just a few days from now, 
We shouldn't just take this one day to do that, of course, because we all know that we should be thankful every day that we're alive and breathing. But with that being said, I'll make sure to have the oven cranking, the good china is out, all the silverware and the table set for everything that's going on in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 225 episodes, that's right, two and a quarter, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, November the 22nd, in the year of our Lord, 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast. This is as follows. The college football season has taken another twist and turn. At the top of the rankings, it's not one, but two teams who had their sights set on the playoff come New Year's Eve took enormous hits as both Oregon and Michigan State were routed on Saturday, which now begs the question, What does this mean for Cincinnati's chances of making college football's Final Four? Has it increased? Has it gotten a little bit better? Will they be ranked in the top four? Or even better yet, is Ohio State now the hottest team in the country as they take a trip to the big house this weekend with their highly anticipated, bitter rivalry going up against the Michigan Wolverines? I'll have all that later on, as well as what's happening on the ice with the Islanders finally opening up their new state-of-the-art arena, the UBS Arena, right in the shadows of Belmont Racetrack. But there hasn't been any home cooking as they lost on back-to-back nights over the weekend. The home opener there on Saturday against Calgary. And then last night against Toronto to where they only scored two goals. And both of them were by Brock Nelson in the game on Saturday. Is there concern with this team as they try to find their sea legs after a 13-game road trip to open up their season? I'll have everything that's going on there as well as what's happening in the NBA. As LeBron James and the Expendables, (coughs) uh, excuse me, I mean the Lakers... Haven't been at their best a month and change into the season. And is it possible that as he comes off the injured list that he may face a suspension as he comes to town for his only visit to Madison Square Garden tomorrow night? I'll discuss their woes and go around the league to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the association. I'll also get into Major League Baseball as there has been a little bit of wheeling and dealing in the sport over the past week. I get it. It's mostly been with the pitchers. It actually affected one of my former pitchers on my favorite team. So I'll share that later on. But with the impending CBA expiring on December 1st and with Scott Boris, I get this is old news, but he had a few things to say about that. You know I'm going to throw in my two cents with the Armageddon that's facing Major League Baseball just nine days away. So I'm going to have all that people, even a little boxing at the very end with a championship belt for one Terrence Crawford. And also, my hero and zero of the week, But with Thanksgiving just a few days away and everybody getting ready to be in a celebratory mood and I'm sure there's going to be people out there from Monday through Thursday morning trying to eat as minimal as possible as everybody's going to break out the eating pants and make sure that they're going to stuff their faces come Thursday afternoon into the evening and especially on that day where we had the three F's where it's food, family, and football. And as I talked about last week after surpassing the halfway point of the NFL season and how I've been disappointed with how not only the games have been, but you haven't had the handful of games that have really stuck out to kind of put an imprint on this 2021 NFL season. It's kind of been ho-hum. I get a lot of the games over the past five, six weeks. We have not had a great marquee matchup, or if that's been the case, they've gone by the wayside One off the top of my head that's actually been a good game was the Thursday night Green Bay-Arizona. Remember, Arizona was undefeated. It came down to that final play. 
But even that game, if you want to call that the game of the year, all right, it's definitely up there, if not number one, but was it an overwhelming knockdown, dragdown, edge-of-your-seat, nail-biting thriller? Yeah, maybe in those final couple of minutes, but that's pretty much a microcosm of what this NFL season has been to this date. But then you had yesterday where it just threw another curveball at you with some unexpected results, surprises, and everything that we look to see in an NFL weekend. You had a couple of interesting storylines, and I'm going to start that off with my winners and losers of the week. So winner number one, I'm going to give it up to my guy, or guys I should say, whether they're in Minnesota, my guy Headstyle, or right here in the BX, Kev the Viking fan, because the Minnesota Vikings, although they're 5-5, five and five, and a lot of people think they're going to be a fringe playoff team, considering, remember, both conferences are going to have seven, not six, that are going to be entries into the postseason come mid-January. But with what the Vikings did yesterday and how they showed a little bit of resilience there at the end, of course, they were in their building where they took the lead late on a game that Justin Jefferson showed the world that he's going to be a top wide receiver in this league for years to come. 169 yards as he was able to just carve through that Packer defense. And as we all know, the Packer defense has been stout here for pretty much the start of the NFL season. All right, we could throw the Saint game aside week one. But with the Vikings and how they performed yesterday where even Green Bay got the big touchdown there, Aaron Rodgers to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and right away you thought to yourself, oh, geez, this is going to be another bitter loss for the Vikings, especially in their home building against their rivals that they can't stand that are north of them in Green Bay. But they were able to make a few plays. They got the winning field goal there as time expired. And now you have to think, at 5-5, five and five, and with the Packers still have a bye, and granted, they have a lot of work to do and a lot that's in store for them. But knowing that they got a leg up, with that win against Green Bay, and we'll see what that means down the road. But for the Vikings to get that victory, to get some moxie, some mojo, to kind of breathe some life into their season, they did do that yesterday by beating the Packers, and not only that, but also trying to get themselves in a good position to make it into the playoffs, which is still, believe it or not, another seven weeks away. And that's one of the reasons why I wasn't in favor of the 17-game season. Go check the receipts. Because now it almost feels as if we're that much further as opposed to that much closer to getting to the postseason. And I get for the regular NFL fan or the diehard NFL fan, they don't care. They just want more games. But remember, I've been watching football since the mid-70s. So less is more. It's just kept it at 16. I digress. I'll move on. My second winner of the week has to go to the Indianapolis Colts. Because this is a team that we haven't really taken seriously. And I'm not going to be one to jump on their bandwagon. I still need to see a lot. And they've had some tough losses this year. The loss at home to Tennessee when they were up by 14. And they weren't able to seal the deal there in overtime against the Titans. Also the game against the Ravens where they had an 18 point lead. And they squandered that only to lose to the Ravens there on that Monday night game a few weeks ago. So the Colts have shot themselves in the foot here. But yesterday was a statement because... When you see Jonathan Taylor going for 185 yards and five, count them, one, two, three, four, five touchdowns. And for Carson Wentz, Frank Reich to kind of get this team out of the early season malaise. I believe they started off the top of my head. I want to say they were one and four. And now they've turned their season around to the point where you got to put them not only in the mix in the AFC, but there is also an outside shot. 
and it's a long shot to say the least, that maybe, just maybe, they could be in for the division. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But give it up for the Colts. They put a 41 on the Buffalo defense. And they were able to just steamroll them right out of Orchard Park. Just an excellent performance. And do we have to take the Colts seriously? I'm going to say right now, no. Yes, they're a team that you're going to have to watch. A team you have to keep an eye on. And I understand they may be starting to build something and maybe get to a peak where they could be that dark horse or that dangerous team in the AFC that nobody wants to face because they do have a good defense. It's not great. But they also have the running game where in January, in cold weather, that could go a long way to maybe getting into a magic carpet ride to a possible AFC Championship and, dare I say, Super Bowl if you're the Indianapolis Colts. So those are my first two winners. My losers, how could number one not be the Tennessee Titans? And I feel like every other week, they're either a winner of the week or a loser of the week. Week one. They get blown out at home by the Arizona Cardinals, 38-13. And you think to yourself, okay, they could lose to the Cardinals, and nobody knew what the Cardinals were going to be at that time. But when they get blown out, you say to yourself, at home, that is not a great way to start off your season. Could they lose a close game? Or let's say Arizona pulled away late. All right, fine. You could just chalk it up to Arizona just playing well. But Tennessee, as we all know, week one, were just awful. Then the inexplicable loss to the Jets, where they lost at MetLife, The Titans were steamrolling ahead and then they stubbed their, not big toe, pretty much all five toes in losing that game to the Jets where they got their first victory of the year. And then, if that wasn't bad, then explain to me what the hell happened there in Nashville, whatever their stadium is called right now. And that's another thing I'm going to get to later on with these stadium names and changing. I remember once upon a time it was LP Field. I think it's Nissan Stadium. But, with all that being said, that performance day yesterday, you just throw the tape out. If you're Mike Vrabel, the coach of the team, you just flush it right in the toilet and forget about it. I get it. It was a wet, rainy afternoon. The Titans had five turnovers, four of them by the arm of their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, as he was giving away early Christmas gifts to the Houston Texans. And the Texans, outside of the Detroit Lions, are probably the worst team in the league. And here they were, just having their way with them up and down the field, on the road against a Titan team where a lot of people thought as a top seed and number one in the AFC as of yesterday, they looked like it was in reverse. Just a terrible performance. And I get you could have stinkers and you could play bad and so on and so forth, but this Tennessee team, you can't trust them as far as you could throw them. And as evidence is what you saw there yesterday. Just an abomination if you're a Titan fan, the 14 out there that you root for this team. And loser number two, I kind of hate to tie in this segment where the winner and loser was affected in the same game. But what the hell happened with Buffalo yesterday is beyond me. I mean, there is no way that you could go into that game and Buffalo has not played well here over this three or four week stretch. But for them to put up the stink bomb that they did at home, And as I mentioned, with everything that Indianapolis did was the opposite of what the Bills had done. And you really have to question and wonder whether or not this team is going to be capable of getting on a run where a lot of people thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl, yours truly included. And if they're ever going to be that team 
that's going to be a threat in the AFC. Of course, it's easy to say right now that's not going to be the case. But they've been very inconsistent. They've been wildly erratic. The quarterback has not really played well. And they've kind of sleptwalked through through some of these games, including the Miami game. What was it? Uh, Last week or maybe a couple weeks ago where they had to turn it on in the second half in order to pull away from the Dolphins. And now the Dolphins have won a few games in a row. So who knows? Are Buffalo thinking that they're, they've read their press clippings going into the season and thinking that they could just show up on the field and just run over these teams? That is not the case. And who knows what is going on up in that locker room. But you got to wonder what is going to happen with the Bills here as we get to this final stretch of the season. And that was just one that, yes, you have to question, number one. And number two, you got to wonder what's really going on inside of this team's heart, chest, head, you name it. Because right now, it looks like things are starting to go sour knowing that the leader in the AFC East as of right this second are the New England Patriots. And I'll get to them in a moment. Matter of fact, let me get to them now only because they were the Thursday night game. And of course, these two teams were a far cry from the Super Bowl matchup that we saw. What was it? Super Bowl 51. And not to rehash history, especially when it comes to the Super Bowl, but New England just had their way with the Falcons. And what more could you say? I know a lot of people are breaking out the red, white, and blue pom-poms for the Patriots. But I have to say it. Let me throw some ice cold water on them because I still need to see a little bit more. And it's going to be evidenced by their next matchup where they're going up against the Tennessee Titans. And we'll get to the week 11 schedule. Or week 12, I might add. Excuse me. But the Patriots, you got to give them credit to what they've done to this point. They've now won five in a row. Remember, they were 2-4 and four after that Cowboy game, and since then, they've run off a pretty impressive streak. Now, granted, it's the Jets. It's a lot of the bad teams that they have beaten along the way. All right, they beat Cleveland, but Cleveland isn't anything to write home about as far as world beaters are concerned. And they did beat the Chargers along the way, which showed some resiliency last night against the Steelers. But the Patriots got to give it up, although I do need to see more, and they're going to go into a stretch here where not only do they play the Titans, but they're also going to play the Bills twice. And for everything I mentioned about the Bills, they could certainly have their sights set on a matchup with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots and also have destiny in their own hands. So let's see what the Patriots will do here over the course of the next month as they gear up for a pretty interesting stretch for them. All right, I'm just going to cut through some of these games because really, am I going to get into the Dolphins beating the Jets there at MetLife yesterday? Or even, I know it was a competitive game and I get it that the Eagle fan right now, they're looking at a possible run to the top of the division as the Cowboys have slipped here over the last couple of weeks. But remember, they lost to them earlier this year. The Eagles, that is. So they don't have tiebreakers as of right now. But even with their game... At home yesterday where they put up 40 points against the New Orleans Saints. And I get, I could throw some shine at Jalen Hurts who's played pretty well here. And even though Trevor Simeon is not going to be the guy that's going to pull this team out of the fire. And maybe make the postseason in the NFC. But the Eagles do have a tiebreaker against them beating the Saints. And maybe they can look ahead a little bit to... Their schedule where they still have to play the Giants twice. They have to play the Washington football team twice. Another matchup with Dallas. So, who knows? 
I'm sure that they're going to rally around the division knowing that they have it in their hands to make some hay and maybe even, dare I say, go for a division title. Let's see if they could do that as now they've gotten a little gas in their tank and the Eagles are now soaring pretty high above the Lincoln Financial Field skies and the New Orleans Saints, I'll get to them a little bit as they have another Thanksgiving matchup here in the next few days. Washington and Carolina, nice win there for the football team in D.C. Carolina, that was the first game. Cam Newton came back home, and Newton was actually pretty good. I know on the fourth down, he failed there late at 27-21, but Taylor Heineke showing his chops that he could actually play in this league, put up some decent numbers, but the Washington football team with Ron Rivera going back home for the first time. Remember, he was the longtime Carolina coach, so they pulled it out for him. But that is a game that not many people are going to circle and zero in on as one of the games that a lot of people are going to talk about here the morning after. San Francisco beating Jacksonville 30-10. to What more can I talk about that? Absolutely nothing. Now as we get to some of the other games, Cleveland beating Detroit 13-10. Nothing really to talk about here other than Nick Chubb coming off the COVID list, running for 130 yards, Baker Mayfield, Still in pain, still not playing at 100%, and it shows in his stats. But the Lions, after the tie in Pittsburgh last week, go on the road again in the AFC North. And although they hung tough there, but weren't able to get a win as the Browns have a big matchup this coming Sunday night in a schedule that is actually looking pretty good compared to the last five, six, or seven weeks. But again, Detroit and Cleveland a game that you're not going to certainly wrap your arms around if you're going to recap the NFL Week 11 schedule. But now as we turn it up a little bit, Baltimore is at Chicago to where Lamar Jackson, not COVID-related, but couldn't play due to an illness, was actually feeling worse as the week and into the weekend came on. But the backup, Tyler Huntley, Tyler who? Yeah, Tyler Huntley, who had the big pass play, they're late in the game, but the funny thing was is that when we look at this score at 7-6 to six, with Andy Dalton in, Justin Fields had to leave the game due to an injury. It was at first feared that he had broken ribs, but I believe it's still undetermined as to what his status will be for the game come Thursday against the Lions. But Andy Dalton came in and had the big play on 4th and I believe 12, if I'm not mistaken, where they were able to get the touchdown there with about a minute and change to go. But what was that for? Just when you thought Baltimore was going to be dead in the water and that Huntley would have to pull a rabbit out of his hat, and he sure did that with the big pass play once they got past midfield there to the corner right by the end zone right before they were able to punch it in for the go-ahead score, and then they were able to do that. And sure enough, the Ravens, who have had a lot of these type of games this year, whether it was the aforementioned Colt game on Monday night, The game in Detroit with the 66-yard field goal to hit the doink on the crossbar and then through earlier with the game against the Chiefs. They've had a lot of these type of victories and the Ravens still hold that perch at the top of the AFC North with a big win in Chicago. Arizona and Seattle, what's there to discuss here? I know that I saved this only because Arizona is now 9-2 and and this is with Colt McCoy, people. The quarterback, Kyler Murray, is still out. Who knows when he's going to return to the lineup. And Seattle, we saw last week 
with Russell Wilson coming back from that finger injury, not putting up a point against the Packer defense, and then at home against the Cardinals, weren't able to muster up any offense as they lose 23-13, and you could pretty much put them out the pasture because the Seahawks will not be heard from the rest of the way. Yeah, will they have a moment or two? I think so. But as far as making any noise and maybe even trying to sneak in through the back door in the NFC playoff picture, could it happen? It could. You still have the coach and the quarterback who have that winning culture and that winning pedigree, but it just has not clicked for the Seahawks all year, and I don't think it's going to turn on a dime. And then give it up for the Cardinals. They've showed some resilience. They showed some toughness, winning a tough game in a tough environment. And it's easy to say that, oh, well, Seattle, they're wounded. They weren't going to put up much of a fight. But we all know the Cardinal team still has a lot to prove. Even with their record right now, and even with the way that they played pretty much from the start of the year till now. But as we all know, when we get to the nuts and bolts, whether it's deep into this NFL season or certainly into January, a lot of people aren't going to pencil in the Cardinals like they would pencil in maybe the Green Bay Packers or maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Teams like that where you know that they will have a run in them despite them not playing too well or historically playing well and it doesn't guarantee that they're going to make it to a Super Bowl but you trust them a lot more than you would trust an Arizona Cardinal team. That's my point. I didn't throw the Cowboys into that mix in the NFC because they suffered a tough loss there in Kansas City. What could you say about the Chief defense? They've played well here over the last few weeks and I'm not going to say that because the Chief defense has pretty much overshadowed other than the game last week in Las Vegas against the Raiders where they put up 41 against the Raiders defense. But the way the Chiefs have been playing here on defense has been impressive. Do I trust them long-term? Absolutely not. They're just going through a stretch where they've actually played pretty well. And mind you, one of those games was against the Packers and not Aaron Rodgers. So that would have been an interesting test if that was the case. But as we know, Rodgers was out that one week for COVID. So we're not going to know unless they play in the Super Bowl. But give it up for the Chiefs. They played well. And they did just enough on offense. Weren't really impressive there on that side of the ball. But with the Cowboys flailing there on offense, Dak threw a key interception right before the half when the score was 9-3. to And then he threw a late pick there as he tried to get his team back in the game. So the Cowboys have to dust themselves off real quick. And remember, no Amari Cooper in the game because he had COVID and he's not going to play on Thanksgiving against the Raiders. So Dallas has to now scratch their head and wonder a little bit whether or not this team is going to be ready and geared up. Of course, you're going to think so. But with that tough loss and without one of their key weapons on offense and then with Ezekiel Elliott going out of the game with an injury yesterday, who knows what his health status is going to be for Thanksgiving. So the Cowboy fan has a lot to ponder on whether or not this could be a stretch where the Cowboys may falter a little bit. And as I mentioned, dare I say, will the Eagles now be a team where they could be a threat to the Cowboys in the NFC East? That remains to be seen. And if you ask me right now, I'd say no. The Bengals bounced back after a couple of tough weeks where they lost at home to the Cleveland Browns. And then prior to that, remember they lost to the Jets. Well, here they were yesterday at Vegas against the Raiders. They bounced back nicely, winning 32-13. That was a game that both of these teams, both going in different directions, so to speak. I know the Bengals came off of a bye. So that Brown game was two weeks ago, and then the Jet game was three weeks ago. 
but for the Raiders and everything that they've had to go through over the last month, and then with the Bengals coming in off of a bye, losing two in a row after that big win in Baltimore, this was a game that Joe Burrow didn't really do much on offense. I know a lot of it was on the ground with Joe Mixon with 123 yards and two touchdowns, and as for Derek Carr, they're going to have to really get off the map because with this streak that they're going through, losing some tough games, whether it was at the Giants, uh, an inexplicable loss when you think about it, then the Sunday night game against the Chiefs, and then now yesterday against the Bengals, they have a quick turnaround to go up against another struggling team, as we talked about with the Cowboys, so that's one that we're going to have to keep an eye on and wonder whether or not the Raiders have any life left as they're starting to slip in the AFC, not just in the division, but in the conference overall. All right, let's get to it. Last night's game at SoFi. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. The game against the Lions is going to be the biggest factor on how the Steelers season is going to go from this regard. If they're going to try to make the playoffs, it's going to loom enormous because they have no tiebreaker scenario when it comes to any of these teams. Having that tie, sadly, it was almost best better for them to get a loss. And as embarrassing as that would have been to a team that had not won a game all year, it would have helped only because they still have Four division games ahead of them, especially two at Baltimore. And they have the Bengals. Maybe they can exact a little revenge this coming Sunday. But having that tie there just throws the ultimate twist in the whole thing because they won't have a tiebreaker against the Chargers. They won't have any other tiebreakers with some of the other teams that they've played, whether it's Denver early on or even Kansas City later on in the season. And in the division... All you got to look at it is this way. If Pittsburgh ends up 10-6-1 and and the Ravens are 11-6, the Ravens are going to win the division. And that's even if they sweep the Ravens. That's how bad the tie looks there on the ledger when it comes to the Steelers. And now, I'm going backwards here as far as the game goes. As much of a tease as you could possibly imagine. When you're down 27-10 in the fourth quarter and you're trying to do the math and you have to think, if you're going to win this game, you're going to have to score minimum 20 points in just one quarter. Pittsburgh scores 27 and they still lose. And as I break down some of the key aspects of this game, I know you can look at the first half at 7-3, them going for it. They're on fourth down to get stopped there. I'm going to say this, Matt Canada, I know it's not all on you, the offensive coordinator, but he's got to go. I'd rather have Randy Fickner, the guy who was the incumbent, to call the plays because they've just been god-awful, not just in the game yesterday, but all year. And granted, the offense played a lot better in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter, but still, their offense is just deplorable in these short-yarded situations. And I get it, you have a guy like Najee Harris, we know about the offensive line, it's unpredictable, and Ben, I get it. But man, they couldn't punch it in. Pretty much at the two-yard line, that was a sign of things to come. And then, of course, from that point on, a 98-yard drive, which led to a touchdown, which you knew was going to happen. I just felt in my gut that without T.J. Watt, without Minka Fitzpatrick, without Joe Hayden, it was just a foregone conclusion that the Chargers were going to just march down the field and put them up by 11. And sure enough, that's what it was. But let me fast forward to the fourth quarter because the Chargers did everything in their power. To give this gift that would have been a victory for the Pittsburgh Steelers in any way, shape possible. When you see how that fourth quarter unfolded, 
Now the Steelers at 27-13, they got the block punt there, which was enormous. At 27-13, they got the block punt there, which was huge. But as the ball was going out of bounds, as Miles Killebrew was trying to corral the ball and hopefully get it into the end zone, as it bounced out of bounds, I thought to myself at that moment, I said, they're not going to score a touchdown here. And they're going to have to go for it because you're already in the fourth quarter. There's no way you can kick a field goal there. It's senseless and it's useless. But as it was on fourth down, as it got stopped, thankfully there was a flag. They got a reset on downs and then they were able to punch it in. Najee Harris jumps into the end zone 27-20. So then after that, the Steelers get the interception, which was huge. Oh, I should take that back. The Chargers end, end up going down the field, shocker, 34-20 to where the Steelers get a score of their own, 34-27 to where now, with about five minutes to go in the game, they get the big interception where Cameron Hayward jumps up off of his helmet. They get the pick. No flag was called there where Cam Sutton almost got decapitated. But then the Steelers get in the end zone. It's tied at 34. And then I don't know what Brandon Staley was thinking with about three and a half minutes to go to where he went for it and fourth and inches or fourth and one at his own 33-yard line to where the Steelers stuffed them. You thought to yourself at that moment, Wow. The Steelers can now take the lead. And I was thinking six there. I was not thinking field goal. Actually, what I wanted was the Steelers to take off some time on the clock. You had a terrible play by James Washington. What was he doing there? I think it was on a second and nine. He gets the pass and he runs out of bounds, which was just uh, unconscionable to even think. Stops the clock. Pittsburgh doesn't get a first down there. And then what happens? They kick a field goal. They go ahead 37-34. And then on the ensuing drive, the busted play there on the sideline where Justin Herbert finds Mike Williams and he goes up the sideline. Trey Norwood's looking around, what's going on, whatever. And the Steelers lose a crushing 41-37 game where they teased you to no end and which would have been probably one of the bigger Steeler victories and I couldn't even remember. Maybe that game in Jacksonville, if you remember, in 2017 where they were down I think it was 17-6 in that game and they had no business winning that game in Jacksonville and they ended up winning or maybe it was 2018 I got my years mixed up but anyway that was a huge win or what would have been a huge win for the Steelers and now it just puts the wheels in motion for a team that has a bunch of division games as I mentioned and hopefully they'll get some of these guys back whether it's Minka Fitzpatrick who was out because of COVID T.J. Watt, who has hip and knee issues. And I said it before, I'll say it again. The defense is going to take this team. It's not the offense. And even though the offense put up 37 points and you could say, hey, that was a bright spot. I trust the defense more than the offense. And I'm not 100% sold that this defense is going to deliver this team to the postseason. So be that as it may, it is, uh, uh, that was just a bitter pill to swallow. And what could you say? It was a swift kick to the groin when it was all said and done after that miraculous comeback to where they scored 27 points in the fourth quarter and still lost. Brutal. And then you have a Monday night game tonight with the Giants in Tampa. So we'll see what the Buccaneers will do there to cap off week number 11. And now we could finally look at a week 12, where we have some juicy matchups. It's not just the dregs of the league and maybe the one good game or maybe one and a half. No, we finally have some good games, but 
You're going to have to go through a Thanksgiving, which is going to give you heartburn and probably some stomach pains. And I'm not talking about what you may eat for Thanksgiving, but the schedule there, starting off with Chicago and Detroit, woof. You may have a matchup, get ready for this, people, of Andy Dalton versus Tim Boyle. Tim who? Wait, 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 what happened to Jared Goff? He left the game yesterday in Cleveland to where who knows what his status is going to be come Thanksgiving afternoon. But that's going to be your first game. Your second game is Las Vegas and Dallas. For everything that I mentioned before with these two teams coming in, you would think just based on their pedigree alone, Raiders-Cowboys, ooh, it's going to be good. Let's hope it's entertaining, but I can't 100% trust it. And then the night game is Buffalo-New Orleans. So yeah, you may have the Bills who are going into the Bayou limping, but then you have the Saints, no, of course, not led by Drew Brees, and certainly not led by Jameis Winston, or even Taysom Hill for that matter, but Trevor Simeon, oh my God, just thinking about that makes me want to break out the Pepto-Bismol because those are three games that I can't even stomach as a football fan. And as we get to the weekend, here are your matchups, and you got some good ones. And real quick, your buys this week are Kansas City and Arizona. So you're not going to see them at all this week. Now your Monday night game, you can forget about. You just might as well punt that and eat whatever leftovers you could spare at that point considering you're going to be full of whatever you ate for Thanksgiving. But it's Seattle at the Washington football team is your Monday night game. But you have the Rams going to Green Bay as your 425 game. Minnesota and San Francisco... Not a sexy game, but two teams that are 5-5 five and five and are fringe playoff teams. Is that going to be a loser-goes-home or loser-leaves-town matchup? Who knows? But that's one that to at least you can keep your eye on. But the other big games, Tampa at Indianapolis, that's become a pretty good game right now considering the way the Colts have played. Tennessee at New England, that's your big 1 o'clock game. And for everybody that's going to throw dirt on Tennessee today... And throughout the whole week, and with everybody big upping New England, watch Tennessee go in there and wax New England. And I get it. No Derrick Henry. You haven't had a healthy Julio Jones in weeks. Ryan Tannehill, four interceptions. But I can see everybody's going to pick New England this week and watch Tennessee go in there and win 28-13. Could you not see that? I could. You also have Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Again, not a game that's going to be sexy as far as the one of the top billing or one of the top games to watch. But it is going to be fascinating because now the Steelers, can they exact revenge on that game earlier this year at Three Rivers? Now the Bengals have a win under their belt. This is a game where it could go a long way as far as a playoff picture in the AFC. And then the Sunday night game, this is where you have your AFC North matchup. You have Cleveland at Baltimore, which is fascinating. Granted that Cleveland has not been impressive this year. They do not have that one defining game. You want to say the Bengal game on the road? All right. Okay, fine. I'll give you that. But they have certainly underachieved all year. And now this is their time to be in a Sunday night spotlight to roll up against a Raven team where you expect Lamar Jackson to be back. This is going to be a hotly contested, watch it be 38-6 Baltimore, which I can see that also. But if Cleveland has any gumption, any fight, any heart, they show up for this game. And I hope that's the case. Besides that, Carolina at Miami, Atlanta at Jacksonville, 
Philadelphia at the Giants. Chargers at Denver. Uh, all right, maybe you could throw that one in the mix because both teams are still involved there in the playoff hunt. And the Jets are at Houston. And just to think, you could look at the Jets at Houston. Hey, this could be for the number one pick. Remember, you got the Lions there sitting, which will probably go. Who knows? They may beat the Bears here on Thanksgiving. Remains to be seen. Again, Tim Boyle is your quarterback, but they're going to be fighting for the number two pick overall because the Lions will pretty much have that gift wrapped for next April to have the number one pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. So that is your week number 12, people, and week 11 as we put a cap on that and look ahead to Thanksgiving week and the weekend. Let me turn my attention to college football, and that's been intriguing to say the least. It has been one of the more fascinating college football seasons that we've had And a lot of it we've seen here just over the last few weeks. Most of it coming from the Big Ten, and rightfully so. But when we woke up there, or not even woke up yesterday morning, but as you got back from maybe early Christmas shopping, or whatever running around you were doing, maybe you had a dinner date, what have you, and you check through your phone or turn on wherever you get your source of information for sports that particular evening, and when you saw the beatings that both the Michigan State Spartans and also the Oregon Ducks took there on Saturday, man, it opened up two questions for you as you look into the crystal ball of what will be a fascinating and also highly anticipated college football weekend, which I'll get to in a little bit. But the first thing is, with the losses to Oregon and Michigan State, what does this mean for Cincinnati? Does Cincinnati now get thrusted into the college football Final Four? Where will they fall? We know Ohio State is going to be ranked number three because you're going to have Georgia one, Alabama two, Ohio State. They just literally took Michigan State. They said, hey, come over here, guys. We want to show you something. No, no, no. We got to cut. No, a little further. No, no, no. Come on, come on. All right, now let's turn this corner here and whack them. In the back of the woodshed. They didn't even know what hit him. CJ Stroud. What a performance. A lot of people think he's now the front runner for the Heisman. Who knows? I mean, I'm not even going to get into the Heisman talk right now. It's way too early to even discuss that. And maybe not early, but you know what I mean. But for them to just... I mean, they just obliterated them. 56-7. Stroud, 32-35. 432 yards. Six touchdowns. I, if that isn't a shellacking, I don't know what is. But then, that also comes on the heels of what we saw later on the day between the Ducks and the Utah Utes to where they took a page out of the Ohio State playbook and they told Oregon, wait a minute, over here. Psst, yeah, no, no, come on. You and I, yeah, we're going to play on this field. And boom, pretty much did the same thing. 38-7, Oregon, who pretty much had destiny in their own control. And I get that they probably could have been an outsider because a lot of people thought that the Pac-12, not really strong, but they did have that win against Ohio State week two where although the score was close at the end, 42-35, but they pretty much handed it to the Buckeyes on that second Saturday of September. And with that loss and with two losses in the docket, There is no way that Oregon 
is going to come anywhere close to a college football Final Four. So that's where the question begs to whether or not the Bearcats are going to be thrust into that top four. And I think they will because the Ducks and the Spartans, by them losing, and that's what they needed, they were able to inch closer. Now we got to wait for the college football playoff polls, the rankings, because as we know, as of right now, they are ranked fourth in the country, the Bearcats, behind Georgia. Ohio State is two right now, where Alabama's three. So there, that's where you have the Bearcats catapulted up into the four spot, followed by Notre Dame, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Baylor, going down the line, even Oklahoma. But you would think Cincinnati, and with their soft schedule, and then beating Notre Dame, because even though Notre Dame right now is five, but Cincinnati has that leg up with that win at South Bend about four or five weeks ago. So they are right now where they want to be knowing that they could have a shot. A team that at the beginning of the year nobody even thought they would be anywhere close to this playoff picture, but now they put themselves right where they need to be. And provided that they won't lose, and I don't think they are, their schedule is cupcake. And they should cruise into this college football Final Four, barring anything crazy. And crazy stuff could happen. But you would think as of right this second, the winner of the Big Ten, other than Wisconsin or whomever's going to come out of that side of the bracket, you would think it's going to be Ohio State right now. But we'll talk about the big matchup this coming weekend against Michigan. You would think right there. And also, if Alabama does beat Georgia, which we think is going to be in the SEC championship, Cincinnati's going to have that spot. Now, I know there's going to be arguments elsewhere where you may look at Oklahoma State. Forget about Notre Dame. They're not going to be able to crack that, especially if Cincinnati keeps on winning. But you're going to have some of those other schools, even Michigan. Let's say Michigan wins and they beat Ohio State and let's say they lose to Wisconsin. They're not going to take Wisconsin. Could they? So unless that gets upended, and who knows with the way this college football season is gone, that could possibly happen. But let's just say if we go by chalk, that's going to uh, pretty much be a top four. Now, if Alabama loses, and they could lose this coming weekend, which I'll get to, let's say if Alabama loses in the SEC championship game to Georgia, they will have two losses. So that means another team will be able to leapfrog them when it comes to the college football playoff. So you still have some inroads if you're the Michigans of the world, Oklahoma State. You want to throw in Baylor? I could throw them in. They beat Oklahoma. You can forget about Oregon. You can forget about Wake Forest. They lost to Clemson the other day. Clemson flexed their ACC muscles pretty much for the last time this year as they beat Wake. So any thoughts of Wake? And they could have been part of this mix if they would have won there the other day. But it's looking pretty good for the Bearcats to making it to the Final Four. Now, as far as Ohio State goes, people are going to argue, is this the hottest team in the country? Because Georgia, they've been beating up on the Georgia Southerns of the world and all these terrible teams that are on their schedule. And same for Alabama, where Bama, even the other day, and as dominant as Bryce Young was, what did he do? He only threw for 559 yards, five touchdowns, what was it? I think 31 of 43, monster game. And even though they were in control against Arkansas, but they still, they kept Arkansas hanging around. And once again, they were in no trouble of losing that game, but it was not as if 
Bama went running away 48-28. Arkansas was pretty much hanging around, and although not a threat, but still. And that's what you got to wonder about this coming weekend, and I'll get to them in a second. But as far as Ohio State, are they the hottest team in college football right now? I mean, it's easy to say yes, considering they beat up on Purdue, put 59 points on their defense, and then 56 on Michigan State. Both of these teams were ranked. You want to throw in the 54, whatever it was, they put up on Indiana two weeks prior to the Purdue game? All right, you could say that. But you would have to say that Ohio State, at least for this very second, they are the team to watch here in college football. Does that mean they're the best team in college football? No, that belongs to Georgia. And I think if it's going to be Georgia and Ohio State, I could see it being a competitive game, but I could see Georgia just running all over them. Maybe that's a little bit too strong considering how well Ohio State's playing. But right now you have to say that they are peaking and I'm sure they're ready to play anybody, anywhere, at any given time. But now we have to look ahead to this weekend and by far that is the highlight game of the day when we look at Ohio State and Michigan. And this has so many interesting subplots. Not only just Ohio State peaking, everything that I've mentioned about them, but Michigan and what they bring to the table as far as they do control their own destiny to make it to the college football playoff. And even with the one loss that they suffered against Michigan State, but they bounced back nicely, winning at Penn State. And I know Penn State has not played well here over the last several weeks, but they were down in the fourth quarter, as we mentioned last week, and they were able to pull the game out. And now they have it all in front of them. In their building. 12 noon, the big house, 115,000 standing, cheering, hollering. Can Jim Harbaugh slay the beast, dethrone the dragon, get the giant 20 million ton, forget pounds, talking ton, piano off of his back and the school's back. To finally beat the Buckeyes. Something that he hasn't done since he's been coach of the Wolverines. To then play for a Big Ten championship. And maybe, just maybe, if he's able to get over that hurdle this coming Saturday. And get over the Big Ten championship hurdle. That he could finally be put in a position to have Michigan win a national title. If that isn't going to be an interesting Storyline heading into the weekend. And oh, by the way, they're only bitter rivals. Then I don't know what is. And even with Ohio State being as hot as they are, and I know a lot of people are going to think, oh, I can see Ohio State just going in there, mano a mano, toe to toe, and they're going to come out probably with a high scoring 51 44 type of game. I can see that. But is this going to be Michigan's time? And I know Jim Harbaugh is not going to get an ounce of sleep this week because he's going to hear it from all corners, probably from his own administration. I'm sure there's going to be a couple of winks, a couple of nods, a couple of nudges, like, huh, here we go. Hey, no pressure this week there, Jim. Oh, he's going to feel it. And this will be a redemption unlike any other if he is able to beat Ohio State this coming weekend. 
Do I think it will happen? I'm going to go as far as saying I will not be shocked if Michigan wins. Because everybody's going to talk about Ohio State, and rightfully so, and how they played here, and how they put up points in the 50s, three of the last five weeks, especially against two top-ranked teams. And Michigan, I can't trust them as far as I can throw them. We've seen this movie before between them and Ohio State. Understood. But there's always that one time, there's always that one moment or that one game that could just throw you off, that you could argue and say, oh no, there's no way. And somehow the pixie dust falls with the maze and blue of the Wolverines. I could see it. But I could see also Michigan losing a tough game at home. And I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be one of those high-scoring type games. Watch Michigan get off to that big lead, let's say whatever, 21-3 or 24-7. And then here comes Ohio State and maybe they take the lead and they make Michigan can even have like a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and you think, oh, maybe, just maybe. And then they'll come an interception or block punt or just a key turnover in a big spot and then Ohio State capitalizes and then all went along. You're going to be sick to your stomach if you're a student or a fan of the University of Michigan. I can see it. And what's good about this Saturday if you're a college football fan, you have the Ohio State-Michigan at 12, then followed that by Alabama at Auburn. And I understand a lot of people may not expect much out of Auburn, but they pulled off this upset just a couple of years ago, if you remember. And could I see that happening this time around? I could, but a lot of it is based on Alabama and how they just haven't been their, their dominant selves. They've, they're throwing a scent of a team that, yes, when they need to get a big stop or when they need to get a big offensive play, they'll do it. But the thing is, is that that fan base in Auburn, they're going to be rabid. They're going to know that Once they smell blood, they're going to go on the attack. And would I be surprised if Alabama goes in there and does what Ohio State and Utah did over the weekend? I could see that. But would I be shocked that if I see the fans running onto the field and when I look at the score at the end of the game and it reads Auburn 33, Alabama 30, I wouldn't be surprised. And I hope it happens. Get Alabama out. Maybe I'd want them to suffer and lose to Georgia, but then again, you never know. Georgia hasn't been straight A's or A-pluses when it comes to winning conference championships or even national championships for that matter. Just ask Alabama. And then at 7.30, you have Oklahoma State hosting Oklahoma. And Okie State, they're still in play here to be a part of this college football playoff. And they're 10-1 and with their... In-state rivals coming in, and Oklahoma, we talked about them over the weeks, and knowing that they've been flirting with danger, and then last week losing to Baylor the way they did, or nine days ago, I could see this one, another one, down to the wire, tooth and nail, could I see Oklahoma blowing him out? Uh, I could, but I could see this, again, being one of those games that's going to be a nail-biter, fight to the finish, and maybe whoever has the last laugh, or who has the ball last, will be the one that's victorious. So those are the big games right off the bat. And you have it all lined up for you 
College football all day from 12 noon to maybe 11 p.m. Enjoy it. Sit back. College football is going to get interesting here. And I will keep my eyes fixated on what's going to take place here with the college sport as we move along here on the podcast. Now, I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA. I'll get to the association here. And some interesting storylines. Also, I get when you watch wherever shows on some of the networks, I'm sure guys got to tune into Stephen A. or Skip and Shannon or wherever else you get your source of information. And I appreciate you guys and gals listening to what it is. I have to say, you know that. I don't take you guys for granted because I'm sure you do get your information there. And rightfully so. I understand. And I hate to belabor the thought about leading the NBA brigade talking about the Lakers as I call them the Expendables after the action movie series with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sly Stallone, Dolph Lundgren, all the action movie heroes of the past, how they're in this one movie. To me, that's the Laker team with Braun, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, going down the line. And now with the Lakers who are right now at 500. And with the Lakers, who as you wake up this morning, they're at 500 at the bottom of the top 10 in the Western Conference. And with them getting waxed on Friday night against the Celtics in a game where, yes, if you blinked, you missed it. Probably the most underhyped Lakers-Celtic matchup in quite some time. And I understand it comes in late November where usually the game is middle of the year or it's a game that's put on notice where you're going to have to watch no matter how bad these teams are because it is Lakers and Celtics. But yeah, if you were not paying attention, yeah, it came and went. But for the Lakers that had LeBron James come back from the abdominal injury in the first time in weeks, puts up 23 points, but it wasn't enough far from that because the Celtics just blitzed them with Jason Tatum's 37 and a 131-08 thrashing. But then as they go to Detroit yesterday, and although they came out victorious, but the talk was LeBron at the free throw line where he elbowed or smacked or bang, bumped, however you want to call it, Isaiah Stewart to the point where Stewart was bleeding and he confronted LeBron there was a big skirmish at middle court, or the center court, I should say, and Stewart was just irate, trying to get after LeBron. Even when he cooled off, he went back toward the Lakers sideline or toward the Lakers who were standing there, right there at center court, and thankfully it didn't become uglier than what it was, but LeBron, who is not known as a dirty player, yes, he does flop, yes, he does do things that make you shake your head, And this, it looked like it was intentional, if you ask me. I get he was trying to brush him off. He was trying to get him to just get out of the way, kid. Almost like a swat him like a fly. I'm not trying to say Isaiah Stewart is a fly. But when you watch the replay and you just see how he just tried to swipe at him. But listen, he got him pretty flush right there in the face where he was bleeding. So you got to wonder whether or not is this going to be or warrant a suspension to where the Lakers are in town to play the Knicks tomorrow night where the Knicks fan and the Knicks are certainly hurting right now. Maybe not for attendance, but as far as their play is is concerned. But for the Lakers and them not getting their season on track, 
Yes, they've had LeBron out of the lineup, but with all that firepower, with all that offense and the marquee names that they could put up night in and night out on the road, they have certainly been anything but their championship selves in piecemealing the first 18 games of the season. And I heard Paul Pearson in an interview a few days ago, and he said it best about this Laker team. So I'm giving him all the credit. He said that Laker team reminds him a lot of the 2010 Celtic team that made it to the NBA Finals, where, if you recall, they didn't take the regular season seriously. They had a bunch of veterans on that team. We all know about Pierce, Ray Allen, KG. But remember, they also have Rasheed Wallace on that team. They had guys that were pretty much had that medal, had that know-how, knew what it took to win, and even though they slogged through a regular season, but then they were able to turn it on in the playoffs and then got to a Game 7 in an NBA Final in which they lost, as we all know. But he sees that Laker team similar to that team, to where they may not take the regular season seriously. Yes, they'll have their moments. Yes, they'll have their stretches. But will they end up being a top seed or a top 3-4 seed in the Western Conference? Maybe not. Maybe they'll get as high as four, considering the way the Warriors are playing and even the Phoenix Suns, who have now won, what, 11 in a row, maybe even 12, I'll double check. But the Suns, they said, huh, yeah, we may have lost the NBA Finals last year and gone on a run for ourselves, but uh uh-uh, that's not translating to any type of hangover or any type of setback. It's been full steam ahead with the Suns team, even with some front office distractions, but... Will the Lakers ever get their sea legs here to the point to where they're going to be the top two, three, or maybe fourth team in the Western Conference? I think at the end of the day, they will. They'll probably go as high as four because who knows with Denver and Utah. It's so easy to bank that the Lakers are going to be there when it's all said and done, but I don't know. I can't say that right now because... Just the group of players that are on their team, they haven't really meshed, I think. And not that I'm watching every Laker game, but you can just see it in their performance. They're going through a lull here that they haven't been able to get out of. And yes, I could see that stretch is going to come where they're going to win 12 or 15 and everything's going to be all right in la-la land. But we're getting into 20 games, almost a quarter of the season, and nothing has clicked. So we'll see if LeBron gets suspended. We'll see if anything comes out from that incident there against the Pistons last night in Detroit. And then speaking of the Warriors, you got to wonder with Klay Thompson, he's starting the comeback here to where he's been participating in contact drills five on five. So far, so good. I don't know when he's going to get the green light to start playing again, but you would think it's going to be sometime soon. So for a 15-2 Warrior team, they're going to get one of their top players that they haven't seen since game six of the 2019 NBA Finals. So we're almost two and a half years in to where we're going to see Klay Thompson on a basketball court. So you can only imagine if he's going to be 100% and anything close to his dominant self, man, it looks like it's going to be Warriors 2014-2015 all over again. You've also had your first firing of the NBA season as far as a coach goes. And that unfortunate distinction goes to former Sacramento King coach Luke Walton, who's now been replaced by Alvin Gentry, and we've seen Gentry on the sidelines of so many different teams, most recently of the New Orleans Pelicans a couple years back. 
So Luke Walton out in Sacramento as they have not been able to do anything, even with all the picks that they've been able to secure over the years. So he's the first guy gone as far as coaching the league goes. But as we go through quickly with the East and West, I know the Cavs took a big hit there by losing Colin Sexton. He's going to be done for the year with a torn meniscus in his left knee. And the Cavs, they have been playing pretty well, although they have hit the skids here losing three in a row, but considering they're sixth in the Eastern Conference as of right now. But the Bulls, Nets, and even the Wizards, just a half game back from the top two there, where both Chicago and Brooklyn are neck and neck, tied one and two in the East. Miami, who have been on a West Coast swing, I think they're back home now. But the Heat are then number four in the conference. And I'm not going to break down all the teams in the conference, but pretty much teams that have actually turned their fortunes around as of late. The Hawks have won four in a row. Remember, they started off real sluggish. They were four and nine. Now they're eight and nine, but they're outside looking in as far as the top 10 goes. The Sixers, they hope to get Joel Embiid back off the COVID list at some point as they have not played well since he's been out of the lineup. And the Knicks, as I mentioned, Nine and eight. Remember, they started off five and one, so now they've lost seven of their last eleven. So let's see if they could turn their fortunes around as the Lakers come to town here tomorrow night. And then the Suns, winners of twelve in a row, as they look to Golden State to say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you're not running away with this thing." So they played well. Same for the Jazz. Any other surprises? Not really. When you look out west, I mean, the Rockets are one and fifteen. To think they've lost fourteen in a row. And the Pelicans, they're going to have a long season. And that's pretty much it when it comes to the NBA. Nothing really to get too crazy about. I know as we get past Thanksgiving and into December, everybody's going to look forward to those Christmas Day games. But that's still a way off. Obviously, we're still more than a month away from those games. And that true point of the NBA season where people may start to pay a little bit more attention. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on that. And now, let me see. I think that's it for the NBA. So let me then turn to what's going on with the ice and that being the NHL. I have to discuss the Islanders. Now, I've talked about them a little bit here. I didn't really get too deep as far as what's going on with them. Yes, we talked about the 13-game road trip. Yes, we talked about waiting, anticipating the new arena, the brand spanking new to the point where I believe the construction team was still probably hammering Drilling and maybe even using the screwdriver as fans were walking into the building. I mean, that's how close this construction was cutting it to, to where fans are walking into the building and they're probably still putting up signs, still making sure that some of the technical stuff is operating functionally. But with the Islanders, and we know it's been a long six weeks, and that journey took them to so many different places, whether it was Chicago. Florida, Carolina, Winnipeg, Tampa, Minnesota, Jersey, you name it. So they certainly got a lot of frequent flyer miles to start off their year. But when they raised the curtain on this new arena, and knowing that they could have some home cooking, they have a stretch where they believe they have a five-game homestand after that 13 games where I believe the Flyers come in on Wednesday, then they have the Penguins come in Saturday, or I should say Friday, right after Thanksgiving. So at least they could sleep in their own beds, they could exhale a little bit. 
But it's funny with the way sports is, and especially when it comes to either the NBA or the NHL, whenever a team goes on a long road trip, and I understand this one is a little unique based on the circumstances, but when you go on that West Coast swing, if you're in the NBA or NHL and you come home, usually that first game is always the toughest. Because when you get home, you can exhale. You can say, oh, thank God that's over. You can kind of let your guard down a little bit. And even though you have the fans behind you and the home cooking and the friendly confines of your environment, but sometimes you can end up playing flat. And that's what the Islanders did here. So when Calgary comes in in their building and they got a 2 nothing lead to start it off and they're pretty much skating uphill the rest of the way. And then last night with Toronto coming in back-to-back, the Islanders didn't even put up a fight. They lose 2 nothing to get shut up by a guy nobody's ever heard of from the Maple Leafs. And the only two goals they got from the weekend was from Brock Nelson. And then Nelson, I didn't watch the game yesterday, I didn't follow it closely, but he only got eight shifts, did not play a lot in the game. I don't know if he left because of injury. I don't know if he was benched. I would assume it was because of injury. Because if you remember, toward the tail end of the Islander road trip, Coach Barry Trotz benched the top line and didn't even give him any burn in the third period in their final game before coming home, and that was against the Florida Panthers. So now that the Islanders, when you think they could put their feet up, all right, wow, look at this beautiful arena, state-of-the-art, the locker rooms, the concession stands, the concourses, the digital displays, you name it. Riding a four-game winning streak into that is now six. So, of course, you have to wonder whether or not this team is going to be cut out to be competitive, not only in the Metropolitan Division, but in the Eastern Conference, because as we look at the standings right now, they are currently last. That's right, at the bottom of the barrel in the Metropolitan Division. Now, the one advantage that they do have is that they've played less games than the rest of the teams in their division. Obviously, because of the road trip, spreading it out, making sure that they get enough rest in between, that they don't have a lot of back-to-backs, etc. So when they've only played 15 games to date, and even though the Blue Jackets have played 15 games, but you have the Capitals already played 19 games. The Rangers have played 18 games. The Penguins have played 17 So there is a little disparity there with some of the other teams in the division. But they got a lot of work to do. And I think with the Islanders, it's interesting because when we look at a lot of these teams, and granted that they're far from an offensive powerhouse, but the good thing about this Islander team is that because their philosophy is based on defense, their team is tailor-made to play in the postseason. So as long as they make it to the playoffs... It's anything goes. And we know that hockey, unlike the NFL or the NBA, and even to a certain extent baseball, it is highly unpredictable. So even if you have that hot goalie or if you have that defensive scheme where you know that you could win a lot of 2-1 games, 3-2 games, which you see a lot in the postseason, that's where it builds to the Islanders' strengths. And what we've seen so far here in this regular season has shown that with the game spread out and a lot of these games on the road and not being able to being the comfort of their own home, so to speak, it's showing to a 5-8-2 and two record to the opening part of this season. So we'll keep an eye on that. I know I will, being a huge Islander fan. But they do have a very interesting week here, as I mentioned. And I think the Rangers are on the docket too. I think I have my 
schedule mixed up. I think they have the Rangers there on Wednesday, and I'll double-check that now. I think I said Flyers Wednesday, and then Penguins. I know they play the Penguins on Friday. That is a lock, guarantee. They do have the Rangers there Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Then you follow that up with the Penguins on Friday. They'll go to the Garden on Sunday to play the Rangers to close out the week. And then they do play Philadelphia, but it's on the road the following Tuesday. So we'll see, on the fans, how they respond and bounce back here. And you would think that they will do so, but they'll have to start doing so soon. And I remember last year they got off to a slow start, and then they just really carried on and blitzed through that 56-game season. And we know what happened after that. But as we quickly go through the league, the Panthers... And the Hurricanes have really been impressive here early on, and we've talked about that. Those are two teams that went unbeaten to start their years, winning either 10 in a row or 9 in a row. And both teams have still put on the pressure. They still perform at a high level. And kudos to the Panthers because, remember, the former coach, Joel Quenville, had to step down with that whole scandal that happened, as we talked about weeks ago, with the former player, Kyle Beach. So... Give it up for Florida, even Carolina, as I mentioned. So when we look at the landscape of the NHL, those two teams top the Atlantic and Metropolitan Divisions. Close margins, but still. The Wild and Calgary Flames are atop the Central and Pacific, but a lot of it is slim pickings. A lot of these teams are one, two, three points behind. No separation just yet. Teams that are looking to Bounce back a little bit. We've seen Colorado now win four in a row. And Tampa, the Stanley Cup champs, the defending two-time Cup champs at that. They lose another key player as Braden Point, one of their key forwards. He's going to be out indefinitely with a upper body injury. And that also goes to what happened with Nikita Kucherov. He's been on the shelf, I believe, now for about five weeks. Looks like he's going to be anywhere between three to five weeks before his return. So you have that. And then on top of that, you had an outbreak with the Ottawa Senators to where they had to postpone three games last week, including the Devils, Rangers, and Nashville. So they have made up the game, or they're about to make up the game with the Devils sometime here in the near future. But Ottawa, they're the first team that really is getting hit hard here where they had to postpone a week of games. Hopefully that's not going to be the case moving forward. We've seen how COVID has made an impact on some players in the NFL. And now, let's see. NBA, we haven't really seen much of it there. And obviously there's no baseball, but we will certainly pay attention to what's happening on the ice. And I believe the Thanksgiving NBC, or it's not even NBC anymore, because if you remember in the past, where we always had that day after Thanksgiving, that 1 o'clock game, which is always Rangers-Bruins. I mean... Is there ever another game besides the Rangers in Boston to host that Thanksgiving special game at 1 o'clock? I mean, that's every year. And I believe, if I have to guess, and I'm pulling up the schedule as I speak, as I hit Friday, November the 26th, I would think that, I guess it's going to be an ESPN game, or maybe it's an ABC game for all I know. Yeah, right on cue. Your 1 o'clock game on ABC, because remember, ESPN and of course TNT, they have the rights, no more NBC, thank God. The Rangers in Boston. I bet if I looked at the last five years, and of course last year notwithstanding because of COVID, but if I go back to 2016 and find out what the 
Friday after Thanksgiving day game is. So when you're coming back from your early Black Friday shopping and you, oh, is there a game on? We know basketball is not to the evening. Maybe you could turn on a college football game. NFL, you're tuckered out from the day before. You could always put on a hockey game. It's always Rangers at Boston. And that's the case here. So that's your hockey. Let me get the two quickies before I say goodbye. The first one, baseball. We've had some activity here over the past week, and it has to do with the pitcher. We've seen Eduardo Rodriguez, the former Red Sox pitcher. He goes to Detroit, five years, $77 million. So they try to upgrade their staff, and maybe, who knows, is Carlos Correa going to join A.J. Hinch in Detroit as he's a free agent. Jose Barrios, the former Minnesota twin who is traded to Toronto and signed a seven-year, $131 million deal, which, good for the Blue Jays. Noah Syndergaard, the former Mets, signs a one-year, $21 million deal with the Anaheim Angels. And a lot of the talk heading into the offseason was how Noah Syndergaard wanted to come back on his team. Was he going to accept the qualifying offer? No, but he loved the Mets so much and wanted to show and prove that he could be a Met at least for one more year and maybe have a big season to where he'll probably go elsewhere. Well, he did that a year early where he took the $21 million, $2.4 million more than what the qualifying offer was. So if you're Steve Cohen and even Sandy Alderson, you finally hire a GM and a one Billy Epler, but it was too little too late because as I read some comments of what Syndergaard said, the influence of not having a GM and even a manager with the state of influx of what the organization is going through, he said, I'm out of here. Let me take my talents out to the West Coast and see what I could do for a year and then maybe get some big money next year. Only puts the Mets in a quandary more so for their pitching staff because we know about Jacob deGrom, health notwithstanding. All right, Taiwan Walker, great first half, terrible second half. We know Marcus Stroman is a free agent. Are they going to overpay just to keep him? Remains to be seen. I can see the Mets doing that. But he may go on to another team for more money. Greener pastures, so to speak. Who knows how the rest of this rotation is going to round out. The bullpen. Aaron Loop is gone. Or he's a free agent. It's just a mess. But that's what we got with the Mets in that scenario. It's not about the Mets right now. It's about these pitchers that have been signed. So you wonder whether or not between now and next Thursday, and that's the big question, on whether some of the free agents, whether your name is Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Javier Baez, Clayton Kershaw, you name it. You also had Justin Verlander re-up one year, $25 million for the Astros. So that's going to be a big boost to an Astro pitching staff that certainly needed it when they got into October, especially in the World Series against the Braves. But with the way the landscape is looking in baseball, and I get the Yankees, they let people go with their name was Clint Frazier, Ronet Odor. They traded Nick Nelson to the Phillies, that's small potatoes. But they look like they're going to be front and center on this free agency hunt. And who knows what that's going to mean if anything's going to happen between now and December 1st. Because as we know, As I've said, for months on end, that's going to be Major League Baseball's Armageddon with the collective bargaining agreement expiring at midnight a week from this Wednesday. And what that's going to do for the sport, I can't even tell you. 
I think it's going to be, as I've said time after time, a long, cold, hard winter. I could see a deal maybe being struck sometime in the latter part of the winter. Would you be surprised if this thing goes on into the tournament? I wouldn't. But you would think, not just cooler, but wiser heads would prevail to the point where they would come to some sort of agreement that a deal will be made and that we'll have a normal spring training and that the regular season will start on time. Should I hold my breath on that? I don't think so. That's just wishful thinking on my part, but I will not be surprised if an agreement and names are signed on the dotted line by March 1st. I'll just say that right now. As far as Scott Boris, he tried to stir the pot there about 10, 12 days ago where he thought teams were tanking as evidenced by the Atlanta Braves and how they won their World Series. Pretty much the guys that they traded for at the deadline, whether your name was Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, etc. How an 88-win team went on to win a World Series to where he thought, wait a second. These teams are just giving away players to a team that was under 500 and then here they go and win a World Series. Well, newsflash, Scott Boris, they've been doing this for a million years since it's the beginning of time. So if a team is going to pawn off players or they're going to sell and a team like the Braves, who I get it, They're not an organization that Scott Boris is going to take his client and run to to say, hey, we got this guy. Are you going to sign him for 10 years and $350 million? No, the Braves aren't wired that way. But that's the argument that he has because look at this. The Braves won a World Series and I'm not going to get any of my guys there. But guess what? As we talked about, trade deadlines, big players getting traded, Manny Machado, etc. We could go on down the list. This is going to happen long after we're dead and buried there, Mr. Boris. So please, nobody wants to hear from you when it comes to that. And I get it that he's the poster child for the players, for Tony Clark, etc. And even though as much power as Boris has, and he's not part of that board when it comes to the Players Association, but still he has enough influence and enough power to flex his muscles to say something like that. Is anybody going to pay attention? Do the owners laugh at that? thousand percent but I just had to attack Scott Boris just a little bit because I mean it's preposterous to think that you know oh this team's tanking and oh please and no surprise on any of the postseason awards I'm not going to break it down Uh, please manager rookie of the year Cy Young and MVP was all pretty much what we thought maybe some people thought Vladimir Guerrero should have been the MVP I know uh, Shohei Otani took all the storylines with all the pitching and hitting that he did this year so all right he wins please am I gonna lose sleep over it absolutely not and then lastly just a little boxing note we had a welterweight fight the other night where Terrence Crawford who's a guy that if you're not paying attention is 38-0 with 29 knockouts and he did just that with a TKO over Sean Porter in the 10th round there Saturday night to retain his WBO welterweight title the only reason why I bring that up why is boxing taking his sweet time to not have a Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. matchup is beyond me. What are you waiting for? 
And listen, I don't have my finger on the pulse, per se, when it comes to the ins and outs, ups and downs of boxing. Because as I've said time after time after time, the sport is pretty much on life support, in my eyes, because it doesn't deliver the juice, it doesn't deliver the effect that it once had many moons ago when it comes to championship fights. But why this matchup hasn't taken place or it's taking a sweet time to get there is beyond me. Boxing needs all the publicity it could possibly get. So I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that, people. I really don't. It's a shame. We know that it's, as I've said, shell of its old self, but give it up for Crawford and what he did. 38 no, 29 knockouts. I couldn't even tell you any of the fighters that he fought in the past. And that just goes to show is it more of the sport being so bad that you just don't care? Me waving my hand very high in the air. Or is it because this guy, yeah, he's beating mostly tomato cans, but he's a guy that you should, we should pay attention to and look out after. So even if I'm not the fight fan that I once was, this guy is must-see TV because of what he's been able to do in the ring. All right, that could be your argument. But who knows? I will certainly be put on high notice when it comes to not only just Crawford fights, but even just championship bouts as I've been doing so here over the last few weeks. So, With that being said, let's wrap it up, people. Let's get to it. My hero in Zero of the Week. My hero of the week goes out to former Raider fullback Steve Smith, who died at the age of 57 after battling ALS. And this was a story that came out not too long ago. In fact, I believe it was the beginning of the year. He was a fullback for the Raider teams several years ago and was a guy that fought to the very end. We know about ALS going back to, obviously, Lou Gehrig. They call it Lou Gehrig's disease because of the Iron Horse, the all-time great, not only just baseball player, but Yankee. And for Smith, 57 years old, man, just tough. Well, what could you say? It'll bring anybody to his knees, and especially a guy at his position where he played fullback, blocking for the likes of Bo Jackson and also Marcus Allen. Took him way too soon, so thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Steve Smith family as he has transitioned at the age of 57. And my zero of the week, and this is a different one, people, but I'm sure you can relate. Because this is more of a shot on the business side of things as opposed to a player or group or team or anything for that matter. But could someone please tell me why is the Staples Center going to be renamed Crypto.com Arena as early as Christmas Day? So when you're watching the Brooklyn Nets play the LA Lakers prime time, Mike Breen... Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, and they're going to come out and say live from the Crypto.com arena. You're going to think they're playing this game in the Midwest somewhere. You're going to say Crypto. Who? What? Staples? What happened to Staples? So the renaming rights will be Crypto.com. And I get it. Cryptocurrency is huge. It's not even the future. It's right now. And I know I may need to pay more attention to that, but million is going to get you the naming rights because Staples had it for 20 plus years and their time is now come and gone to where the crypto world is going to open up their shirts a la Cam Newton and Superman as if here I come to save the day. And we've seen this. Even American Airlines Arena, it's FTX.com and I believe that's also a cryptocurrency firm. But Staples Center, this is the house that Kobe built. 
This is the Lakers. And I get no disrespect to the Clippers or the LA Kings, the other residents in the building, but all the iconic moments that have taken place in that building, even Grammy Awards, unfortunately memorials, including Kobe Bryant. And they're going to call this the Crypto.com Arena? Seriously? I get it. Even if you have $700 million and you have some business, it could be the cardboard box light fixture arena. If you got that kind of money, all right, so be it. But geez, not only does that name sound awful, but it's going to be part of the sports landscape for the next couple of decades because I believe they signed a 20-year deal to have this name on that building. Ugh. I'm sorry. No offense, Crypto.com. And I get it, Adam Silver and the NBA... It's money. That's, I don't know, but ugh. renaming these buildings, stadiums, etc. I don't like it. This building will forever be Staples Center in my eyes, so they are my zeros of the week. That'll do it, people. Episode 225, just about in the books. But as I close out, as I said earlier, and I'll say one more time, I know that for you to spend your precious minutes to download and not only follow this podcast, it means the world. It really does. Because whether you're a first-time listener or you've listened just in the last few weeks, months, or even years, I'm a one-man operation. I do this out of the love of my heart. It's in the DNA, and it's sports runs through my blood and in my chest, which obviously goes to the top of my head and through my mouth week in and week out. I ask you to please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. It's just going to increase the visibility of this podcast, as I said from the very top. And I do not take your participation lightly or for granted. So please subscribe, rate, and review. Also, if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could go on my social media accounts, hit me up with a DM at JReels or the JReels podcast on Instagram, at JReels1, just the number on Twitter. The J Reels Podcast on my Facebook fan page or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And if you want to contribute to us to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to contribute, I would be sincerely and just grateful for your contribution that goes 100% to this endeavor, to the podcast itself, the upkeep of the website, equipment, production, you name it, it goes to that because as I just mentioned a minute ago, this is why I love to talk about people dripping with fire, passion, opinionated, no frills, talking all the sports, not regurgitating the same narrative that you hear week in and week out on all the other shows. That's right. I know this is what I put forth And I hope you keep coming back week in and week out because I love to get into everything that goes on in the world of the ice, diamond, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. I may have a podcast later on this week. You definitely want to keep in tune with my social media accounts to find out more. Or, of course, you can go to the website at jreels.com. But until Thursday, enjoy your Thanksgiving week. Have a happy and healthy with your loved ones. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.